Job's confession is the point of this book, I Know My Redeemer Lives. Mm -hmm. As for you and knowing why this happened to you particularly, who's known the mind of the Lord or who's yeah. been his counselor or who's ever know. given anything to him that he should repay him? Without the gospel, everything that he's realizing here is true, but just horribly condemning. Yeah. And what his friends are giving him is law light. If you're suffering, there must be some sin in your heart. If things are going well for you, that's a sign of God's favor. On this episode, part two of our three-part series on the book of Job. The White Horse Inn is a listener-supported broadcast. To find out how to support our efforts, check out the support page of our website, whitehorseinn.org. If you are new to the White Horse Inn, be sure to click on the first-time visitors link from our homepage, where you can order our free intro kit. By signing up for this kit, we'll send you a complimentary copy of the current issue of our magazine, Modern Reformation, along with extended-length editions of the White Horse Inn on CD, completely free of charge. All you have to do is request our intro kit. Simply look for the first-time visitors link on our homepage at whitehorseinn.org. That's whitehorseinn.org. Five centuries ago, in taverns and public houses across Europe, the masses would gather for discussion and debate over the latest ideas sweeping the land. From one such meeting place, a small Cambridge inn called the White Horse, the Reformation came to the English-speaking world. Carrying on the tradition, welcome to the White Horse Inn. Hello and welcome to another edition of the White Horse Inn as we're continuing our trek through the book of Job. In our last program, we ended with Job's question, how can a human being be righteous before God? We've been seeing how already the answers that Job's friends, his supposed counselors are giving him, are so bad that Job is even beginning to realize how much his own theology is still sharing in this uh, health, wealth, and happiness kind of theology. It's clear from the verses that follow in chapter 9 that Job is willing to throw himself on the mercy of the court only reluctantly because he can never win. If it's a contest of strength, he says, behold, he is mighty. If it's a matter of justice, who can summon him? He begins to realize that he shares with the rest of humanity a depravity that only shows up on the radar when compared to God. Standing in a lineup with other mortals, Job appears innocent, but compared to God, he says, my own mouth would condemn me. I become afraid of all my suffering, he says, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Then why do I labor in vain? If I wash myself with snow and cleanse my hands with lye, yet you will plunge me into a pit and my own clothes will abhor me. For God is not a man, as I am, that I might answer him, that we could come to trial together. And uh, to discuss these wonderful uh, scenes, we have your usual hosts here, Kim Riddlebarger, pastor of Christ Reformed Church in Anaheim, California, Ken Jones, the pastor of Glendale Baptist Church in Miami, Florida, Rod Rosenblatt, professor of theology at Concordia University in Irvine, California, and I'm Mike Horton. I teach at Westminster Seminary, California. It's interesting how Job keeps getting closer and closer and closer to making a confession of his own guilt before God. He's not going to give in on his counselor's claim right. that he is suffering 
direct judgment for a particular sin. Right. But now he's beginning to say, you know what? I think that people suffer for being sinful humans. I think there's a sinful condition. Mm. I don't think I can even stand before this holy God. And so something's beginning to change here in his own thinking, but he's not quite there yet. It's wonderful to see this sort of unfold, isn't it? It's a Uh, remarkable book and a remarkable scene. What is the import of his saying, if it's a contest of strength, look, Mm -hmm. he's sovereign. Right. If it's a matter of justice, who can summon him? God is basically going to win. Whether it's power or justice, God's going to win. And if it's a matter of justice, the implication, especially from the following verses, is that he's not qualified to stand. Right. He well, can't stand before God because if it's a matter of pure mm-hmm. justice, then as you mentioned about his sinful condition, he seems to be innately aware right. that he falls short. And he gets the fact he can't put God on trial. Yeah. I can't take him to court. He gets that. <laughs> kind of like the right. children of Israel in the wilderness right. when they wanted to uh-huh. put God on trial. And so that's the dilemma because he can't accuse God or sue God or, or bring uh, action against him. So... He, he, on the one hand, the only thing he can do is cry uncle, and the mm-hmm. question is at what point and about what. Right. I become afraid of all of my suffering, for I know you will not hold me innocent. I shall be condemned. Why do I labor in vain? Hmm. So many people in suffering get right up to that point, and that's when they walk out on the faith. Hmm. We don't see them anymore. They lost their son or their daughter or their spouse. As Christians, horrible, yeah. as, as professing Christ- Christians. Professing right. Christians in a horrible situation. Mm-hmm. And we went, where did they go? Well, it was at this stage. They yeah. were brought to the point where they realized that they were cornered. And so they just said, you know what? If there is a God, he's too powerful for me to overcome. And I can't take him to court. And I can't consider myself innocent. And they're just crushed. They're just absolutely, without the gospel, everything that he's realizing here is true, but just horribly condemning. We made the the point in the earlier show that a lot of these dialogues, in in terms of their consequence, not in the structure of the dialogue, but in terms of the consequence, amount to the hearing of the law over and over and over without the gospel. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's this sense in which yeah. I'm unworthy, God is too strong for me, I'm condemned, and, and mm-hmm. I'm just going to put my hands over my ears and make noises to myself and mm-hmm. walk yeah. away because I can't take any more of it. And what his friends are giving him is law light. Yeah. What they're yeah. giving him is, yeah. well, if you're, if you're suffering, then there must be some sin in your heart. If things are going well for you, that's a sign of God's favor. Yeah, and that's, if, if you look at, at the misuse and the mishandling of, of uh, Job in a, in a contemporary sense, I think that's one of the tragedies is that people don't recognize the law gospel confusion. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and therefore, they are trying to, as you mentioned, Mike, use law light as the antidote. But law light is still law. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. Right. And uh, it, it still comes down to individuals not doing this or doing that as a means of gaining anything from God. Exactly. And the flip side of that is the idea that when people are prosperous, they must have God's blessing. Yep. But but to show you how common that idea is, that uh, if you're prosperous, then that itself is evident of God's favor, 
even today, just in a common way, if a person drives up in a brand new car, mm-hmm. they'll say, oh, well, you must be doing something right. It's it's that same kind of yeah. concept. I, I yeah. think it's in us from the start. Yeah. yeah, from from the garden onwards. Sure, it's uh, not just our culture, but it's deep in our culture in particular, and we've exported it around the world. What's interesting is that Calvin, in his commentary on the Psalms, says over and over again, a great threat to our Christian walk is prosperity. You know, it, it is more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, not because He's rich, but because his wealth is distracting him from the things that matter most. It's difficult for people to take seriously eternal things when they're focused on temporal things. Mm -hmm. Of course, poor people can be focused on temporal things too. But his point is certainly that you don't discern who's a true believer by whether they are prosperous or they are – if anything, Calvin would have sided with the poor – and those who were going through suffering because the way things appear on the outside is almost always wrong mm-hmm. yeah, in the yeah. things of God. And that's why we have no business discerning God's will from mm-hmm. what we witness in people's lives. Right. There's just no way we can look at Job and say, well, <laughs> of course. And here's yeah. one of the problems with that. I think there was a time when the health and wealth prosperity people stood out as being distinct because it was such a departure from confessional and orthodox Christianity. The problem is because we have not been consistent in making those distinctions, we sound alike. At mm-hmm. certain points. And you hear this among ministers when they, they get together because the first question they ask is, how's your church doing? Is it growing? Yes. And so numbers are a sign of God's blessing. And exactly. Loss of members is a sign that you're doing something wrong. <sighs> we, this is thick every place. Yeah. It's, that's the thing. It's, it's just so deep in our sinful fallen hearts, but it's also so deep in our culture. That which is, is part of our fallen nature that which is endemic within the culture has now become endemic within the church, regardless mm-hmm. of denomination yeah. or theological backdrop. Now, one of the things that we've said uh, in the last program and sort of in, interpreting Job as a whole is that if we didn't have the first two chapters of Job, we wouldn't know any more than Job did about what's going on here. But that really in any of our lives, the only will of God that we have access to is that revelation that Job had as well, I know my Redeemer lives. I know that, but I can't know why this person over here is is rich, this person over here is poor. Mm -hmm. I can't know why this church is struggling, even though the, the word is faithfully preached and the sacraments are faithfully administered. And then you've got a mega church down the street that doesn't preach the gospel mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't understand that. But here's what I know. Satellites, <laughs> right? Yeah. But here's what I know. I know Jesus yeah. is risen and is at the Father's right hand, interceding for me as my attorney, mm. and that He will return to this earth, and that I, this person falling apart on the outside, being renewed inwardly but still sinful, Mm -hmm. I will on that day be raised glorified and I will see him standing upon the earth reigning forever. That is what I know. Mm. All of the other stuff about what happens until then is really for God to know and for me not to find out. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> who has known the mind of the Lord or who's been his counselor? I think that's why, we'll talk about this when we get to it, but I think that's why God then speaks out of the whirlwind, giving a backstop both to Job and his friends to basically say, Job's confession is the point of this book. I know my Redeemer lives. That's what you know. Mm. As for you, Job, by the way, this isn't about you, but anyway. <laughs> exactly. Um, but if you, you know, as, as for you and knowing why this happened to you particularly, who's known the mind of the Lord or who's yeah. been his counselor or who's ever given anything to him that she, he should repay him? You know, basically, you're going to have to just trust me on this. And there's this great line in uh, one of the Harry Potter books where <laughs> Dumbledore, you know, who's the headmaster at Hogwarts, Dumbledore takes Harry Potter on another trip and uh, he asks Harry, aren't you going to ask where we're going? And he says, no, after enough years, I just go with it. Mm. And, you know, there, mm. there's that sense. Yeah. 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 You're not going to find out anyway why mm. things happen because I'm sovereign. Yeah. There is no one else that you're going to get answers from who rules the world. <laughs> I'm the one who's sovereign, and I'm not giving you the answers. But yeah. here's what I am telling you. You are redeemed by that yeah. advocate, and you will be raised with him on the last day in the same flesh that's now rotting. Yeah. Mm, wow. That's my promise. Now, I will reveal that mm. to you a hundred thousand times and preach it into you over and over again yeah. until you cling to it. Now, if that's true, all of these centuries after he made that promise to Job, with Jesus actually having been raised on the third day, maybe I can just say, I don't know why my dad died a horrible death. Yeah. Maybe I don't understand why there's so much pain and misery in the world. Maybe I don't understand why that tsunami took so many lives. Yeah. And I never will. But I look to Calvary and I can say, I know that he's good. Yeah. I know that he's sovereign. I know that he's merciful. I know that he's just. And I know that he's the just and the justifier of the ungodly. Yeah. yeah. And our Savior identifying with us in our nature, the word was made flesh and he has sanctified human flesh. And our confidence is what he is, we will be, because he has come in full human nature, as full as and as equal, full divine nature. And he has accomplished the will of the Father on our behalf. And the rewards that he has earned are ours. <laughs> and the judgment we deserve, he has borne. Right. All on. of it true. And even <clears throat> even in addition to that. He sanctified our suffering. Yes, exactly. If I don't suffer properly, and if I complain, and if I moan, yes. and if he I whine. He died for that, too. Yes. He, he suffered perfectly, and yeah. that, that perfect suffering is imputed to me when I am, am suffering simply. Badly, yeah. yeah. Around the same issue, when we counsel people who are in the midst of various sufferings, it's dangerous for us to say, well, the Lord is, has something for you to learn. Thank you. Mm -hmm. There's there's something. What have you learned from this? Mm -hmm. Well, that might be the doctor's job. It's not mine as the pastor. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that, that's the thing. If you need to learn that you need to lose weight or you need to yeah, that's not, that's lower not. your cholesterol, that's fine. A theologian or a pastor doesn't know any more 
than the person who's right. suffering exactly what God yeah. has in mind in yeah. permitting this. And I can tell you as a pastor how frustrating that is because sure. there'll be people laying there wanting an answer. Yes. Mm-hmm. And well, where's the chapter in the Bible? That's a very frustrating thing as a pastor. That's the one place mm. where you just kind of think, I wish there were an answer to this. Yeah. It'd make <laughs> life a lot easier for him and for me. Folks, we're in unprecedented times. Many of us have been gripped by fear lately. COVID-19, the stock market, fear of losing an elderly parent. We're managing anxiety about reduced income or the loss of our jobs. It's not the easiest of times to talk about our faith with others. And yet we're still called to share the gospel with people around us. Many of them have pretty big questions at a time like this. To equip you to share your faith with others, we've created a new collection focused on evangelism. This digital download contains some of our best White Horse Inn programs and Modern Reformation articles on this topic. I really hope you'll consider requesting it as a thank you for a gift of $50 or more. To receive this digital download, head on over to whitehorseinn.org forward slash evangelism, or if you prefer to call, you can call us toll free at 1-800-890-7556. Join us in our mission of not only getting the gospel right, but getting the gospel out. And thanks for your support. Welcome back to the White Horse Inn as the hosts are discussing Job's counselors and the prosperity gospel. Job realizes what he lacks if he's going to appear in court with God. What if we did go to court? I'd need a good lawyer, yeah, a good defense attorney. So here's what he says, uh, chapter 9, verses 33 and 35. There is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both and remove the heavy rod. If only there were such a mediator, Mm. then I would speak without fear of him. Hmm. For I am not so in myself. Yeah. There's some of the greatest gospel stuff in this story, isn't there? Centuries before before, uh, Jesus. Yeah. Uh, So he's being pressed into a corner. And instead of just fleeing and saying, okay, I'm condemned, forget it. I'm I'm walking out. Drinking we die. He's saying, I need a good lawyer. Yeah, and, and it, it is indicative of what we've been saying all along, and that is even as he commends himself in, in his efforts to do the things that were required of him, he is aware of a fallen, corrupt condition that disqualifies him to be able to bring yeah. any charge against God. Right. And the need for someone other than himself who shares in his nature to plead his case. Well, that's the when you say who shares in his nature— that's, I mean, implied at least when he says, who may lay his hand on us both. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And as righteous as Job is in terms of a, of a temporal righteousness before men, he realizes that's not enough. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The courtroom really here is the dominant atmosphere. It's interesting. He's He was wanting to take God to court, but yet his story is just like Hamlet's play within a play. Uh, one of those Russian dolls, you know, one inside mm. the other. The larger drama is a courtroom drama between God and Satan. Yeah. Which he doesn't know about. Which he doesn't right, know right. about. But here he is 
wanting to take God to court. It's unmistakable, folks. I mean, this is about the justification of the wicked. Hmm. This is a courtroom scene. And it's cosmic between God and Satan. And it's also personal. Job wondering, how am I going to escape this judgment? And that's when he cries out for a mediator. It's interesting when you look at, you, you, I'm going to catch you while you mention the cosmic scene, because in the opening prologue to Job, chapters 1 and 2, it's God who brings Job to Satan's attention. But if you go to Zechariah chapter 3 and you have Joshua the high priest, this time Satan brings Joshua to the Lord's attention because look at the high priest of the temple, look what a scoundrel this guy is. Mm. And so in that passage, you have a very similar thing happen where God strips off all of his unrighteous garments, Joshua the high priest, and clothes him in perfect raiment, mm-hmm. faultless garments. So you get the same kind of thing that's going to take stripping off mm-hmm. the sin and imputing righteousness for anybody mm-hmm. to stand in God's presence. Yeah. And so you have not only God showing Satan Job, then you have Job showing God Joshua the high priest. All same. of these mm-hmm. events, that's a great example, all of these instances where we peer into the cosmic courtroom Hmm. of the war between Yahweh and Satan, it is about justification. It's about Satan trying to thwart faith in Mm -hmm. the coming Messiah who will crush his head, and God preserving faith, giving faith to people to trust in the Messiah who will justify the ungodly. Well, yeah. and you've got some great images in the New Testament where Jesus tells the seven who come back preaching the gospel, we saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, the strong man being bound, Revelation 20, Satan being cast into the abyss, that after the cross, he no longer has the access to mm-hmm. the heavenly yeah. throne that he had before. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about Satan being bound in the present age, at least in part, the New Testament tells us he's, he no longer has the access to heaven that he had before the cross. Mm-hmm. So there, there are all kinds of things in these texts that should this inform courtroom. our theology of Satan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This courtroom. We think, once again, this world of our daily suffering— or our daily prosperity. This world of our three score and whatever years, this age and all the political debates in Washington, this is the real world. But throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, the real scene mm-hmm. is this courtroom yeah. scene mm-hmm. in heaven. Right. Mm-hmm. And the earth is sort of where things get played out, but it's ultimately about this story behind all of the stories. And, and it, it is the context. I mean, it does contextualize the struggle that we see on this plane. For instance, in, in Genesis 3, what makes Genesis 3 make sense is the struggle that took place prior to that. Again, in heaven, mm-hmm. Satan had already fallen before Adam does. So uh, a, a portion of scripture like Revelation 12 kind of shows you the, the parallel this cosmic, this eternal heavenly struggle, this spiritual struggle between Satan his, and his rebellion against God, how it mm-hmm. plays itself out in human history and redemptive history. It's a great point because both in Jesus' teaching in the Gospels and in Revelation 12, there is this real sense that victory, he's completely crushed the yep. serpent's head. Oh, and he... Uh, was thrown to earth and where he persecutes right. the church because he knows his time is short. In other words, it's sort of like victory, but he's going to send you to, to uh, martyrdom. Right, right. Oh, yeah. But it's okay. I mean, because it, it, you still have the wilderness. He's thrown out of heaven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, it's like, now, for us, usually it would be 
he was thrown out of heaven, but he has come down to earth. <laughs> yes. But for the Bible, it's he's yeah. been thrown out of heaven, exactly. but he's come down to earth. Right. Yes. You know, the, right. it's a the different emphasis. emphasis. Well, it's like the the rabid dog. When we learn that the dog is rabid, we know to stay away. The dog's death yeah. sentence is secure, but don't get near him now. And that's yeah. how the New Testament presents the devil, like a roaring lion looking for those whom he may devour. He he knows he's de- he is defeated, and he knows it. Therefore, he's far more fierce in his persecution of God's people. That's all he can do mm-hmm. now. He can't yeah. go back to heaven so he can wage war in the church, and his uh, weapon against the church has always been heresy. Yeah. yeah, and that's why, again, understanding that he is a problem because he has been thrown out of heaven, exactly. because right. he has been defeated. Mm-hmm. He is a, a problem, It's but, but that problem, again, is contextualized because the one who threw him out is victorious over him. Mm-hmm. Right. Already. Already. Seeing no mediator step forward, Joe begs God, are not my days few? Then cease and just leave me alone that I might find a little cheer. I loathe mm. my life. He has this real sense of smallness, unlike the average American. But this, this you know, we have different questions. Yeah. Well, I can't believe that my thumb is sore. <laughs> but for yeah. Job, it's a little different. Yeah. I'm little. Why do you pay attention to me? Again, God's sovereignty and his justice are not enough to comfort him. They have the exact opposite effect without his mercy. Right. And not just his mercy in general, but his mercy in the particular manifestation of a mediator. Yes, a mediator. Boy, that's that's one of the the doctrines that I think so critical to uh, 16th century early Protestantism, the idea that God's grace and mercy are located Mm -hmm. in Christ alone. Uh Because if we don't, if it's not connected to him, it's it's no none of this ambiguous expressions of grace. Mm -hmm. All of God's grace is located in Christ. And though and, and the scriptures either explain that point to that or. All of God's grace and mercy is located in that individual. Yeah, Calvin says that uh, in the schools they teach, basically in seminary of his day, God is the object of theology. Yeah. And by doing this, lead miserable souls astray. Mm. You scratch your head and say, well, what? What? I thought Mm -hmm. God was the object of theology. He says, it is true, but only if in this way, to know God and Jesus whom he has sent, yes. because he says, Jesus is the only God we know. Mm-hmm. The only yeah. access yes. we have yes. to God is yes. the face of Jesus Christ. So he says, not even if we, in fact, on election, he says, we will not find election in ourselves, mm-hmm. and we will not even find election in God the Father, abstracted mm-hmm. from the Son. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You will only find that in Jesus Christ. Look yeah. to Christ and you find your election. That's yeah. the way it has to be here with Job. He's got to find some sight of yeah. this mediator in order to know that God is favorable toward him rather yeah. than coming to him in wrath. Well, in a similar vein, I like John Owen who says that there is an infinite ocean of love that is within God, but not one drop of it can reach us except for Christ. Except oh, that's for Christ. nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice. That's great line. So everything from God is mediated through Christ, and anything that is acceptable from us to him also must be through mediated through Christ. Christ. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed today's discussion here on the White Horse Inn. If you'd like to hear more of this conversation, simply visit our website, whitehorseinn.org. 
Here's what you'll find on the extended edition of today's conversation on the book of Job. The rudest thing for a healthy young person to say to someone who's dying is, your stage of life is just as beautiful as it was when you came into the world. I mean, it's just against nature. Because there's something comforting, actually, about knowing that other people realize old age and dying is hell. Folks, when you help support the work of the White Horse Inn by signing up as a regular partner, you'll get longer editions of every White Horse Inn broadcast. For more information, simply head over to whitehorseinn.org slash podcast partner. That's whitehorseinn.org forward slash podcast partner. Also, as a thank you for your one-time gift of $50 or more, We'll send you a new collection we've put together on the topic of evangelism. For more information about this offer, simply head to whitehorseinn.org forward slash evangelism. Thanks for being with us this week, and we'll see you again next time at the White Horse Inn as the hosts conclude their three-part series on the book of Job.